Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. It's uh, Sunday Sessions, 25th of October, 2000. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining me uh, on, which is really a bit of a premiere kind of um, Sunday sessions, our weekly time for exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to your favorite outside sanctuary space, and expressing your inspired visions from your sanctuary wherever it is. Uh, not so good weather today for it, is it? But if you're out in the garden, uh, out amongst the trees, where you could be sheltered just now, or up the hill, and expressing yourself from there through your writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving, and whatever your vocation happens to be. Well, today's uh, Sunday session is crows, ravens, and uh, folklore. And I'm setting up something very special here uh, for a, in a moment. And uh, this was cancelled last year. We had this an in-person one last year. So this is really a premier theme for me to share with you. And I've been looking forward to this. It's been quite a bit of uh, preparation. But we've got some lovely uh, guests. I put it out there for guests to come along. We've got the lovely uh, Linda Rosewood, um, and uh, she'll be with us. And you loved her poem last time when she was with us. And I see in the green room there, Jessamine O'Connor's there. She's a lovely, vibrant, Roscommon writer. Uh, we have Howard Hawksley. Uh, he's going to present you a traditional COVID song. Uh, you probably will know it. And there's Catherine, uh, Catherine Crowley. Uh, she's a yoga to poetry teacher. Unfortunately, she's not going to be live because she's somewhere else. But uh, we've got a lovely poem of hers. And uh, she, it's amazing. She does yoga sessions. And uh, after the yoga sessions, people go into a creative writing workshop. Uh, but uh, the special guest of all, I've actually got my granddaughter, Ayla, something from her. So I'd love to see... Uh, who's with us today and uh, what you have to say. Uh, this is wonderful. Thanks for being here. We've got Trista, lovely to see you uh, from Upper New York uh, there. Suzanne here, Vanetta, thank you. Uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, and uh, and then we've got Terrilyn, lovely to see you again. Thank you. Uh, Donna Johnson, I'm great. Thank you for joining us. You have to get up very early. I don't know how this... Um, Time change has affected you, uh, but wonderful to see you. Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you for all the regulars that are joining in here. But first, as I say, I'm going to indulge in by introducing you to something by my granddaughter, Ayla. What happened was I was putting the crow things out. Uh, it's a shame I don't actually have the uh, picture for now, but um, uh, her grandmother uh, was visiting them. Uh, they're in Scotland. And uh, there was a little exhibition of paintings that she'd done. She's nine years old. Uh, and uh, there was one that really struck me. And it was a tree with a big black bird. And I said, look, I'm doing this crow thing. Uh, can I, could you tell me something about the picture? And she didn't write. She actually sent an audio. So this is uh, what Ayla sent to me. I think it's absolutely delightful. The story of my picture is that the birds sitting on the tree while his family is inside the little hole and he's just watching the... The story of my picture is that the birds sitting... Okay, so much for the audio. I don't think that happened on that one. Oh, that's a shame because it was the most beautiful uh, audio that uh, went with it. Um, I'm going to try again. Uh, it seems weird. Can you tell me, did you get audio with that one? I... The story of my picture is that the bird's sitting on the tree while his family is inside the little hole. The story of my picture is that the bird's sitting... That was the rest. Uh, that'll be okay. Uh, with the rest of them, I hope I haven't... We'll see if I've got an audio problem. Let me know if, uh, was the intro playing? Um, let's see if we actually have an audio problem. Uh, there's Lema here. 
Uh, yeah, greetings to you. Good morning, uh, Kimberly from Boston. And uh, Carolyn, yes, we can hear. Did you actually hear uh, from Ayla? It might be my weird headphones. Never mind. Uh, I'll get on with the show. Uh, here we go. Now, crows, jackdaws, and covids. They seem to be really sociable, don't they? They're very sociable with each other and uh, very intelligent. There's some very sociable uh, jackdaws. Uh, and of course, the ravens, they're very uh, independent. Uh, I did read somewhere that uh, crows, they actually, uh, they kind of have the intelligence of a child of four. And the ravens, they have an intelligence of a child of seven. So they are somewhat more intelligent. And they seem to, uh, all of the COVID seem to know and sense as well. They pick up on our moods and vibes. Uh, they know when we're friendly and welcoming and, uh, and when to stick around. <laughs> and some become very affectionate, um, which is quite unusual for a bird. And as you might know, and I'm going to bring this up later, the crows and ravens have quite a repertoire of calls. It's not all crap, crap. And raven calls are deeper, deeper call than the crows. And I'm going to share some excerpts uh, later with that. But ravens, people love the ravens. They're much more independent, more active hunters. And they've got behavior that's a lot like hawks and other raptors. The ravens are also bigger than crows. They always seem to look windblown with a shagginess of feathers. That one uh, uh, there, look at the shagginess of feathers of that one. And um, But the point of this uh, presentation is really to address the sort of image they have of the ill, evil and sickness imagery that these birds seem to bring uh, into folklore stories. Uh, the the goitra, the melancholy stories. They seem to come into those that tell of the sickness and the fear-mongering that's being carried by the corvids. Yeah, there's another thing that sounds like corvids that's doing that, isn't it? Uh, and all this supposedly coming from an unseen, unseen source of the divine. As a, a, a lovely California resident songwriter, some of you might know of him, David Nigel Lloyd, uh, quite a friend of Robin Williamson of speak about a lot on these sessions. And he sent me a wonderful thesis of Raven and Crow Tales uh, last week. And lots of wonderful stuff, but it tend to be on the melancholy, so I couldn't feature much of it. But he's got a beautiful version uh, of his own version of his epic Richard Thompson song, uh, Crazy Man Michael. I'll, I think I've got a link that I can give you of him here. Uh, there's David. I think that's him. Yeah, that's it. Uh, go to have a look what he's got. Fascinating. He's been around for many years. Some of you may have even uh, seen him live. But uh, see, wonderful stuff, including Crazy Man Michael. And that was a song that was on uh, the Legion Leaf, uh, you might remember at the time, uh, Fairport Convention. And there they are. But the song... That song and some of the stories he sent me, as I say, they amplify the melancholy. So here we go. That's quite often what we think of. I think of a scene when we think of corvids, of crows, of ravens uh, that's carried by these birds. But there was one lovely story that he uh, told me um, was that uh, you may know that when ravens and crows, they can actually get used to us and trust us. And they actually try to mimic our voices and some of our words. And David's got a wife, Virginia, and uh, she once looked after two crows, and one had lost a wing and was, couldn't fly and was very grumpy about that one. And another one was a little baby that had been kicked out of the nest as a wee chick. And uh, he told me that the winged crow was always moody. They just very close, kept close to them, but just was moody. But the one that had been kicked out of the nest most seemed to need another crow to teach it how to call like a crow. It didn't know how to speak like a crow. So Gita did her best to imitate the crow squawk uh, in her own uh, California accent squawking tone and kept speaking to the baby crow that way. 
And one day, David heard what he thought was his wife, Gita, teaching the crow how to speak, giving one of her lessons, and he wanted to talk to her. So he went into the room where the crow was, found she wasn't there. It was actually the crow there squawking away with a Gita accent. I thought that was quite hilarious. Um, very funny. That was one of the nicest stories that uh, he sent. Uh, Linda, oh yeah, Linda, uh, I love that so much. Linda's going to come aboard, so she's around somewhere. There she is. Uh, love that song. Uh, Gwyn Fay, lovely to see you. Good morning from Florida. Uh, Emil, hello, someone from Sligo. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant. Uh, and thank you again. And thank you to the people who are listening to this later or watching this later. You could be listening because it's actually on Spotify as a podcast as well. And uh, still put your comments if you're on later, because I, I do check up and answer as much as I can. Anyway, in this uh, Crows and uh, Raven session, I'm going to go straight into what is perhaps the best-known Raven link, sometimes Crow link. And it's what a lot of you are familiar with is, there we go, the Morrigan. We and the word Morrigan, I find, is it's actually very odd. It's obviously... To me, I think it's an anglicized Latin-based word that has matured from something else, but I don't know when. Uh, my guess is perhaps that it was during the Celtic Romantic period, which was 1840 to 1910. Uh, some people call that the Celtic twilight time and even the Celtic mist time. But all this uh, seemed to be revived. I suppose a lot of influence was Gardner and the Wickers from the early 50s. And Gardner amuses me. Uh, <laughs> there he is. Uh, because to me, uh, from his imagery, how many of you have been to the Boa figure, uh, the Janus figure on Boa Island? Just as a comparison, there he is. I always think, uh, I wonder if uh, uh, this was a prophecy of Gardner coming onto this earth. Anyway, there you go. My comparison with Gardner and the uh, Janus figure. And for a while, I was quite comfortable with a shorter cut word. It was Morigo. And uh, this, to me, I discovered this had been shortened from a phrase that I absolutely adore. And I brought this up on other Sunday sessions because we use language today to, as I keep repeating, it's all about things, isn't it? We're always talking about things and describing things. But um, to me, the old languages were about conditions what was going on, because people didn't really have much of a concept of things. There wasn't, in the ancient times, so much of a focus on acquisition. Uh, so the Mona Korakuen, I absolutely adore, because the more is the great infinite, and the um, Kori is the valley, or it can be a hollow pot, uh, it can be a hollow hill, and Korakuen um, is the, the hollow hill that contains the silent, but the silent weaving. And from now and from Sawan coming up, we do have the silent weaving because the US people call it the fall or the debris from the year that's passed, coming up underground, being rewoven into new life and being reborn again at Imbolc in spring. So I love that whole Mornacorakuan because to me that tells the story. The infinite queen protector the Queen Weaver. And I've also seen other words, um, the Mornogronia, but that in a way that, that's more summary, uh, but uh, related to Groin, and also Onion, which was a goddess carrier of souls to Tirnanog. And I'm going to see if I can uh, get you a banner with, there you go, these are all the spellings, uh, if that might be useful to you. Um, so uh, there we go. Um, Right, uh, is that back? Uh, still up there, great. Um, now, as I say, my favorite there. That one, the Korakuen, to me, it really describes the womb. It describes the womb, the hollow inside, uh, the caves inside the hill, uh, where the co uh, there's copulation at the Grand Conception, the midwinter, and that uh, it kind of grows a kind of watery fetus until the birth. So I'm going to talk about the Morrigan Im imagery. I, I'm, 
a bit about the battlefields, a bit the symbolism of crows and ravens in the season of regeneration. I'm going to focus on that much more on the battlefields, but there's going to be a little bit of the battlefield stuff. But um, even presenting the imagery of the crow and the ravens and corvids is a hope for easing some of our climate change fears, which is another fear mongering we're going. And I'm going to go into some identification of different crows. That's going to be a fun segment. And I'm also going to be working, uh, talking a little bit about working with COVIDs for divination and totems. But there was a song. Um, I, I called out uh, for a song. Um, people, who anybody do a cover version of Three Ravens? Or Twa Corbys, the Scottish one. Um, because these do relate to the battlefield uh, folklore of the ravens and the uh, crows. Now, ravens in the uh, English folk song ballad, uh, that comes from 1611, apparently, the first sort of archived of it, uh, in a book called The Melly's Matter, which was compiled by Thomas Ravencroft. Uh, but the actual song is probably much older than that. But Twa Corbys, there they are, some Twa Corbys there, is sung in the Scots language, and it seems to have first been published in Walter Scott's uh, minstrelsy collection. That was much later in 1812. But both songs, they tell the story uh, very differently. And uh, the three ravens, they're symbolic as ravens. As I said, we're in, usually independent, but there they are. There's three ravens again, I'll repeat that. They're, uh, they're in threes. Of course, in folklore, they've got to be in threes. Um, of course, not singular. But in this song, the three ravens, they blather about where and what they should eat. And one of the ravens tells of a newly slain knight. Uh, but this knight is guarded by his loyal hawk and his hound. And then another of the ravens carries on and said, well, there was a deer that came to his bottom. I actually visited that body. And the deer kissed the wounds. And the deer actually took him away and buried him. So sorry, lads, there's no meal for us ravens and uh, the deer apparently was a morphing from the night's lover now twa corbys i suppose in a way is a little bit typical in scottish folklore <laughs> the way they've changed this this goes more into the melancholy and is quite cynical of the three ravens song so this time it's two crows uh there's the two crows there and instead of commenting on the loyalty of the knight's hawk and hound uh, the Corfid uh, tells that um, one of the crows there tells that the hawk and the hound, they've just fecked off. Uh, they've left him. They've gone off chasing game. Um, they're, they're just doing their own stuff. And there's no mistress that's morphed into a caring deer because she's already fecked off with another lover. So that's the Scottish version for you, the Twa Corbys. So, uh, of course, in Twa Corbys, the good thing there, the Corbys do actually get their meal and nobody else knows that the fallen knight is there. So nobody's come along, going to come along and chase them away. Of course, there's some gruesome detail in that song about the meal that they make of him, picking parts of him, plucking out his eyes, and using their hair to build some nests. But the underlying theme of Twa Corbys, there is a positive side. It's the, it portrays the fragility of life that goes on after death. And it's summed up in the final lines. I should have put them up for you, but I'm going to put some lines up in a minute. Or his bains when they are bare, the wind shall blow for Eremere. So I'm going to, uh, I hope some audio works on this because I'm going to bring up the song. And the song here is presented by uh, Howard Hawksley, appropriate name, isn't it? And uh, he sent me a, he sent me just the audio, and I put the lyrics to the audio. So thank you if you're watching this, Howard. Howard, thanks for sending this. So here's the soundtrack of the lyrics, and please tell me if you get the sound. As I was walking all alone, I heard two corbies making me Lean unto the tether did say, oh where shall we gag and dine the day, oh? Where shall we gag and dine the day? In behind yon, oh, fell dyke, 
I watched Eliza, new slain knight, and nobody kens that he lies there, oh, save his hawk and his hound and his lady fur, oh, hawk and his hound and his lady fur, his hawk has gone a-hunting game, his hounds to fetch the wildfowl hay, his lady's tain another mate, oh, so he may mark our dinner sweet, oh, he may mark our dinner sweet, you'll sit on his white house pane, and I'll peck out his bonny blue weed, with many a lock of his golden hair, oh, when it grows shall ask his name, and none shall ken where he is gain, and his white bones when they are burrowed, the wind shall woe forever marrow, the wind shall woe forever marrow. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm having headphone problems here, so I've put on some regular speaker. I hope there's not uh, too much echo when I've got people on. I'm going to turn my microphone off. Uh, but did you actually hear that song? Let me know if you heard that song. I think Suzanne uh, said, yes, you got the song. Okay, sound working. So I'll, I'll know now because I'm using microphone. I've had two headsets, unfortunately, that have failed on me in the last half hour. So that was, um, I hope you heard it, Howard Hawksley with Twa Corby's there. But I'm now going to return. You got it. Fantastic. Now I'm going to go to Ornagat Cave. Ornagat Cave. Uh, that's the next target with here. And, of course, I was talking about this with the dragons and serpents last week because we uh, the tales connected with there and how that connects up with the Keshkoran uh, caves here. So uh, here's the entrance here, Ornagot Cave at um, Rathcroen. And, uh, of course, talking about Ellen uh, Trekken last week. And Ornagot is perhaps much better known for his connection to the Morrigan stories uh, rather than the Dragon stories. Now, Linda Roo is going to be on very shortly. Uh, she sent me last minute. She's got a much nicer photo of the entrance. Look at this. There it is. There's the entrance there. Uh, that's hers, uh, which I think is uh, lovely. Let's get the banner away for, for you. And then you can see the full the full blessing of that. There you go. Uh, right. Fabulous. Um, <laughs> well, as I say, known for his uh, more... Morrigan, Morna Corracoon story, and, and visitor pilgrimages uh, are pretty popular when they can, especially by women who like to commune with her, um, especially around Halloween, especially Sawan. Uh, the pilgrimage there, Sawan, is for many women the most precious experience of the sites that they go around to. And you know what? I'm very delighted. Where are you, Linda? Linda, <laughs> Linda's got a, a poem uh, to share a poem here. Uh, are you around, Linda? I don't see you uh, logged in here. Uh, send me a message uh, where you are. You were here a little while ago. You said hello, but you're not, not actually on the screen. She sent a, a gorgeous poem, and I thought she would have no trouble logging on. So I don't, I'm not sure if I've got the poem. If she's not here, I think I might have to read it for you. Uh, give me a moment while I find out where it is. Um, there she goes. Um, right. Uh, she's. If, uh, come on up. There you go. Uh, so if not, let's see. I might have to read it to you, seeing as she is not 
somehow she didn't log on. So this is it. This is it's much nicer when uh, Linda reads it, as you know, because you are absolutely adored when she was there. But anyway, I'll read it now that uh, you've got the entrance, the vision of the entrance there. I entered the cave of the COVID queen. Her ladies waited in pines, calling back, back, back. Doughty I undressed, crouched and bent, my bare feet finding a fissure and a stone. They tell me that stone shouts out a man's name, but in here the women will whisper. Down into the dark and wet, sliding and holding deep and in, barefoot and finding stones and rocks and mud and magic. At the bottom lies one sharp rock to lean on. High above, too far for fingers to touch the arch, the fornix, a vault, a chamber. And here I wait in the dark, not to die, not to rot, but speak at last with the Corvi Queen. I entered the cave of the Corvi Queen on a young winter's night when fires burned unbanked, welcoming home beloved death. I opened my ears and attended a voice as clear as you hear my voice right now. Join my people eat our food, dance to our music, sleep in our beds. So spoke the Corvid Queen, and I crossed into her car cabin. Not dark, but golden with firelight and bright with loving eyes. Hot meat, warm bread, cold ale. And I danced with the daughters of the Corvid Queen and sang with her sons. They dressed me in plaid wooden shawls, and smooth leather boots. In one night, I lived a long lifetime. Welcome to the cabin of the Corvi Queen. Near dawn, my friends, it fell around, they friends fell around me sleeping and fading from the sight. Now, I'm, it's a shame. Maybe Linda will turn up. She would have read that much nicer to you. Um, but I hope you enjoyed my substitute. It's the first time I've probably read it herself so i hope you enjoyed that and maybe one day we'll get linda for that uh so uh now as i often do i i tend to refer to the medieval scribes uh, excuse me while i take a bit of a drink here and i'm i'm always sort of giving out on time about how they scribes they turn the oral stories into sort of linear archives. They write, uh, the medievals, they write sort of left to right, don't they? Or I don't know, I, you're looking at a mirror image of me, not like the Chinese, the Japanese, the earlier languages that were, they were kind of on the vertical. So not only does it seem to take the linear, uh, it seems to be bent on an elite and patriarchal slant because uh, this was a new culture at the medieval times. It was a culture of a wealthy elite men have become patrons of the scribes. So these patrons, these patrons expected these scribes to write stuff that was in their favor. You go through these ancient books and really you find it's references to the elite. You got to go to the Ducas folk stories to actually get the ground roots of really what was told. Now, fascination of these um, medieval scribes is how on earth they translated oral dictations of this uh, passage in uh, folklore into a linear, you know, the whole thing about the Morrigan in a linear rather than cyclical format. Um, now, that, that's someone else. <laughs> uh, well, the linear writings was a mix of Greek, Manon, Germanic, Latin letters, all knitted together along with the symbols. And as I've shown in previous sessions, they, they added a mix of Norse, Germanic, Saxon, Pictish, and Gael, all kinds of imagery 
ranging from those knots and the lizards and the dragons and the spirals as well. I haven't got pictures up of them this week. But the folklore they described and presented was not exclusively local Gale. And it was mixed with Norse, Germanic, Greek, and Minoan folklore, possibly some from some of the regions of West Africa as well. So it looks like the uh, Morrigan possibly, when they wrote it down and called her the Morrigan rather than Mornacorakuan and the other variations, they uh, I think they were inscribed by this creature here, uh, the a Norse uh, legend of the Valkyries. Or the uh, I, I've got some spellings up here. Maybe you can pronounce it uh, better than me. Uh, is this it? Yeah, there you go. And uh, now their stories are very much the battlefield stories. The female that went to the battlefields and they were scavengers of the flesh, the weapons, uh, and uh, also the gatherer of the uh, possessions. Uh, that were on the battlefield. Very different to the cyclical story that I know and tell of the Moran Korakuan, which is the transition from our autumn through the winter, through the grand conception of midwinter into the spring. So the scribes, to me, have merged those different folklores. And because there's a patriarchal slant and because there was acquisition and be, uh, because acquisition meant taking over tribes and what they got, I think that's how you got uh, Morrigan was born. That's just my thoughts and feelings on it. But the Saxons, I don't think I've got any pictures of these. The Saxons and Germanics, they had the Indice, and that was a female crow who watched over battlefields. And uh, the crows were kind of, it's, it's almost as if they were betting. They were diviners. They would decide who would be the winners and who they'd be able to plunder who would be the losers that they'll be plundering and feasting on later. Uh, but Mona Corakuan is the one for me, more from the warrior battle woman, uh, the Morrigan, very different. Uh, but the Morrigan images, there's lots of books out. Uh, they definitely inspire some powerful motivational spirit of encouragement and esteem building within women because for all the breakdowns towards equality in a lot of areas, as you're familiar with, the equality isn't quite there. And it's as if the Morrigan image, and to actually, it's as if, I, I believe, I have to say, I'm not a woman, how can I speak so much on this? To me, it's like as if it fires up and gives encouragement because a lot of women's voices are suppressed. They're very much into the servitude. And ah, and they can get to the point, oh, my wee, wee little voice, it's not even worth expressing. Yes, it is. And I think when they read about the Morrigan stories, it kind of fires that up. So I think that's where it's useful. But please share your thoughts and interpretations in the comments about that little waffle there. Uh, but the Morrigan itself being a kind of morphing being includes morphing into a raven, or as you might consider as a murder of crows. And to me, the uh, this is another thing. The digestive system of a crow, of a raven, of any corvid. This is what I find fascinating. And it's a lesser part of the folklore that's told. It, you know, that if you can get crows into an area that's polluted, there's poisons, they can slurp up the poisons, eat up the poisons, even poisons within, let's say, a dead animal. They can eat it up and they've got such powerful digestive systems that regenerate all that poison all that pollution, and then when it comes out their rear end, it's pure, safe, organic matter. They're cleaning up the they're cleaning up the earth. They're cleaning up our planet. So that's another thing in the folklore. You, you can pull so many stories up uh, from that. So that's to me a very important part. So corvids are scavengers. The digestive systems taking all those toxins and they poop them out a safe fertilizer that will not mess up anybody's organic farming certification. Absolutely amazing. And uh, it's said in the, the greater folklore how the Mornacora cured actually absorbs the debris from the end of harvest, such and also the leaf fall, and reweaves this into a new life within her womb, which is like an earth's digestive system, and it becomes the water that becomes released 
the next spring. So any more thoughts and comments on that, on the, uh, the regeneration uh, imagery, and especially on the encouragement and the esteem and the imagery uh, carried by women. I look forward to reading your comments on that uh, very shortly uh, with that. In fact, let's have a look what you're actually saying on that right now. Uh, with my reading materials, there we go. Linda, you did a good job of reading it. Oh, Linda's about. How? I, sorry you didn't get on board. Uh, I hope, uh, uh, did you not have a signal? Well, it's very sad. I hope we'll get to another time. Uh, Suzanne Wright, uh, Rathcroen, there we go. Rathcroen Visitor Center takes tour to the Cave of Cats. Thank you, Howard, you're on board. I hope you managed to catch your tune, your lovely song, because I didn't, because the headphones didn't work. Anyway, that's great. And there's Chandler, oh, lovely, we've got Chandler on board. She has, she's a person of lovely poems. And the regeneration imagery of the crow reminds me of the phoenix. Indeed it is. I was unaware that they could clean up Toscans. Yes, it took me a while, um, but they, it, it's just the power of their digestive system is unbelievable. I, I think it's, and it just shows you that uh, when we think we're destroying the planet, bring the Corvids in, not the COVID, bring the Corvids in, and they do a, an amazing cleanup job. And I say that as really as an encouragement of the Covids because of the ugly uh, image that they have with a lot of people almost as if there is a frightening, melancholy, even a cruel image, and they're not, and they're quite essential. Now, there's other folklore. I'm, I'm going to run out of time with this, so I'm not going to go into it. But one to look up, do a, a Google search, is Odin, represented by the raven uh, Hugin of Thought, and Munin of Memory. I'm not sure if I pronounced those right, but Hugin anyway. That's of our thought, of our memory, and those of you who are shamans and shaman practice out there, you'll reg perhaps regard that and the totems as being very much the basis of your shaman practice. So I'm not going to talk more about that. But uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, Jess is patiently waiting there. <laughs> but before then, I let's hope this works for you and hopefully might be able to listen. I'm going to turn the my microphone off uh, whilst it's going on. This is a video recording by Catherine Crowley, who couldn't uh, be here, and she covers... A lot of crow and key, uh, raven mythology through her poem here. And uh, let's get, uh, she asked me if I could put a website link up, and why not? This is what we're here to do. Uh, is this her? No, that's, oh, that's something coming up. Uh, where is she? She's here somewhere. Ah, oh, goodness. I, I, where are you? Um, now, I do have a banner for her somewhere. Um, I did put one up. I, I hope I didn't throw it off. There she is. She's up there. There we go. That's it. If you have a look, Catherine.au, uh, so she, she does this yoga to poetry practice. Absolutely wonderful. And I'm going to bring her on to do the uh, – I got a, a video recording of her poem here. Um, there she is. And do enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Crowley and I'm going to read you one of my poems called Ode to Crows. On the wings of human imagination you soar through the centuries, known as a powerful creature of intelligence. Greek mythology revers you as prophet, but messengers are not always treated fairly. Apollo Crazed by his lover's cheating, lashed out at the raven, scorching feathers black. The Bible says that Moses released you to check on receding waters after the flood. King Solomon's hair was as black as your body, while Norse god Odin looked to you for world news. Later, scholars picked the records apart depicted you as evil and the dove so white and peaceful. The morrigan of war, shape-shifting as a crow, or the three-in-one goddess of girl, woman, crone. Our projections are endless. I see your resilience 
And if you feast on the corpse, well, what about it? Life comes in many forms. You move above me with the rising of the sun to land on a mighty oak, taking your place in the court of animals, trees and clowns. Urban waste, your treasure, jittery, twitchy on the ground, noisy, yakky, clever croaks. The stillness of dawn reveals your voice, whiplash jazz, a symphony of scavengers. Mouths and beaks sing songs of life, where you simply play your part. Ah, oh, great. Uh, hope you enjoyed that bit. I, I didn't get to hear it myself, but I'll hear it later. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, if you're watching, I think she's going to be watching a bit later on. So uh, that's great. Now, what I'm going to be doing uh, very shortly is going into COVID identification because there's 40 species worldwide. There's seven of them in Ireland, so I'll introduce you to them and you'll recognize them. But before we do any of that, um, let's bring her on board. I'm going to introduce you to Jasmine O'Connor, one of the uh, lovely Roscommon poets. And I was bowled over when she sent me some of her crow ones. So here we go. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He keeps coming back over to me. I'm going to assume that you can hear me, but uh, I can't hear myself. <laughs> uh, I'll just carry on because I don't know if you can hear me or not hear me. So it's just my voice. Just uh, like a kind of a lighthearted one about um, crows in my chimney. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead. To <laughs> so forgive my Wi-Fi, it is appalling. Uh, okay, boundaries. Chicken wire squeezed to a prickly ball blackens in the chimney. Bristling its fist to the lurking crows who tug and claw, poke and post scrawny sticks or lengths of wire through the tiny octagonal gaps, but they fail finally to fill the stack, build the raft they need in the sky, and we are relieved at last that they've given up, and the morning doesn't rattle with tumbling twigs, cables, cans and bottle caps, and we no longer start every day pulling away the roof of the stove to reach up and empty three feet of their empire. Our neighbor's rubbish landed on the living room floor, marring at all the things. Excerpt the farmer's journal, bits of tools, screws and crumpled cans, brands we'd never drink, locks to chains, not ours. But mostly crows came to this house, to us, blocked by a bowl of chicken wire. I, I still can't hear anything, so I don't know if I'll just plot on. Yeah, uh, you did uh, come on okay. Uh, you were good there. I uh, Most of it came through. I think probably with your permission now, I'll, I'll post up uh, the poems as you're speaking so people can read them. But it was lovely to get some of the voice. But it reminded me of the time, uh, I think it was in the mid-80s when the Live Aid was on. Yeah. And uh, the, um, yeah, the... Uh, the Genesis man, Phil Collins, he, he played in London at a certain time and he went to Philadelphia to show off and play at the same time there. And he was on the plane, I think it was the uh, Concord, and he was, and uh, Billy Connolly was saying, ah, oh, the technology, the technology is so amazing what we got. This was 1985. I couldn't hear understand a word he said, but the technology is so amazing. So, anyway, we, we did get the nice words from you. Have you got another one for us? So try again with another one. Uh, which one did you want, John? Yes. Which one did you want, John? Well, that was Boundaries, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, try the morning radio. That was Boundaries. 
Okay, morning radio, if you insist. It's a bit of a funny Explain one. Explain why it's uh, different. Sorry? Explain why it's a bit different. I think it's a very clever poem, the way it's one line listening to the radio and uh, one line seeing what's going on outside. I think that's fabulous the way you do that. Yeah. Okay, I just think maybe when you hear it, it's harder to picture, but sure, I'll just read it anyway. It's kind of toggling between what I'm listening to on the radio and what I'm looking at out the window. More I right. think it's a stunning poem. <laughs> All right, okay, I'll go ahead. <laughs> okay, morning radio. Two jackdaws pace the scaff planks outside, pulling at things from the top so in the topsoil pile. Father daughter on a beach in Cork and from the farm. Dislodging roots, abandoning the hill for the ground. She was washed up. He turned up later in the shadows, in the shallows. They stroll the gravel, idly finding seeds. Who brings a child swimming at midnight? We keep our eyes intently on the silvering birds. That's it. Thank you. Now, that was actually a lot clearer. Oh, okay. so do try again. Uh, if I can bring you on in a few minutes' time to do a third one, yeah. that'd be fabulous. But thanks very much for that, Jess. I wish we could have a conversation, but I understand the signal is a wee bit thank rough. You. But thank you so much. And we'll be back with you. We'll try again. Thanks. Right. Thank you, Jess. Uh, I hope you got a sense of that. A remarkable poet. I'm not sure if she has a website. I, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the comments a bit later. But we're going to have a bit of a fun time because I'm talking about the COVIDs and uh, the COVIDs and uh, the crows, the ravens and all the other wonderful ones. So I'm going to give a, a wee bit of a, a presentation. Um, and we've got uh, all good, Jessamine. Thank you for saying that, Dervla. And, uh, and Monica, uh, thank you for being here. And thank you. Yes, uh, Susan, and um, beautiful. Yes, it certainly was for what we got. Um, and uh, whoops, uh, Jessamine's sort of gone off for a minute. And uh, great. Now, let's get to the fun bit here, the COVIDs. Now, I hope this works out for you. Uh, this, I've not done something like quite like this before. So let's start with the rooks. The rooks, they're large. You know, uh, the rooks, they've kind of, they've got the massive beaks and you wouldn't get too close to them. But uh, here's a rook and what a rook sounds like. Well, that's it. I hope that sound came through. And now the hooded crows, they're the ones that uh, when the rooks, uh, they uh, get into the chimney pots, they, they push them out of the way. And sometimes they call the hooded crows the banshee uh, uh, as well. They, they're kind of related to that. So let's have some, uh, see if I can get some hooded crows on here. Um, right, that was, I'm getting, I wonder if I got the wrong th thing here. Hooded crows, where are you? I've got a nice video of hooded crows. Is this the hooded crows? I might have in the wrong order. <coughs> hooded crows. And uh, we got the, um, and now the jackdaws. These are the ones with the gray heads. And they have a proud swagger when they go walking along. But they, they pester a lot of people because they're the ones that block the chimneys. We say, oh, it's the crows, but it's these people. These. Right. And now the magpies, the thieves, uh, the curse of some people, but the delightful color, magpies. Come on, magpies. It's a... All right, and now the chuffs. 
I love these, the red beaks, the red legs. They have an incredible flight, lovely. I think they have a more adorable flight than the uh, raven. And they, they actually have a nickname of Celtic Crow. There's a lot of these up in Donegal, on the coast in Donegal. Sleeve League is a place you'll see crows. Not crows, chuffs. So here's a chuff. Right. Now, a bird that's quite common around Irish woods, you hear it, you don't see it. It's a very beautiful bird, but you'll often hear it and you'll think, oh, is that a crow and it sounds strange or is it a, a bird with a, a cold? And that is the jays, European jays. Absolutely adorable bird. You'll hear it in the woodlands here much more than you actually see it. So here we, here we go. Right, and what one, what one have we missed out here? Mm, I suppose you might be wondering. The ravens, of course. And here we have the hearty voice, the low voice, the loud voice of the raven. And there's a lot of people that remark on the uh, ravens of flight and managed to get a lovely video clip of a bit of a raven. Here's a nice treat for you, a raven in flight. Isn't that gorgeous? It's lovely to catch that whoever caught that. That's absolutely wonderful. Let's see what you've had to say about uh, watching that nature. Uh, we do used to go for nature walks on a Sunday. So that's our little nature walk through the sounds of the Corvids. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you heard it. Um, great. And well, Emil here uh, actually heard the poems, Jess. She heard them very clearly. Great. And Manitou also. Absolutely adored it, and, and sh they should too. The thing with you, Jess, if you say a poem, I think it's a bit like what I, uh, I think this happens a lot with poets as well, when you're here for the first time. It's like they say dogs, they understand about one in 30 or 40 words that a human says, but somehow they can patch it all together and know exactly what the human is saying. And I think that's like that with poets. When you hear poems, you might not hear every word, but the words you pick up and you actually put together uh, in your mind and soul and your interpretation, you get the you get the poem. And I think that's even though it was broken up, I think that's um, what happened there. Anyway, I'm getting uh, I'm going to go on to a story. Uh, I probably know eight versions of this story. It's a local story, and I, I'd probably tell eight different versions. I, I'd counted them up, and there's eight of this. So. In previous Sunday sessions, you might have heard other versions, but this really brings the the crows, well, brings the ravens into this one. Now, it's the story of a man who stole all the eggs from a raven's nest, and he was uh, mischievous, cruel in a way, and he boiled them up. He took the eggs from the nest, and he boiled them up, and he put them back in the nest. No idea why he did this. Well, he, there was a reason, but it's coming up. But the mother raven came along back to the nest and realized that these eggs had been boiled. But she didn't seem overly concerned. So she flew over to Corona. She flew over to the Arigna Mountain. And from there, you know, the Arigna is quite popular for the coal mining. Well, if you go next to the coal seams, there's this very, very hard black rock, and it's very much a shamanic, in-demand black rock. So this raven, it picked up a piece of this magical black rock, brought it back to the nest, put it across the eggs, and all the boiled eggs 
returned to live and the chicks were fine inside. Well, the man who did the boiling of the eggs, he actually did it for that very reason. He knew that the raven would fly off because he was a, the man was weak. He couldn't walk very far. And he knew this raven would fly off and come back with this black stone. And because he personally heard that if he could get hold of this black stone himself, he could take it along to the local hag's well, the kayak's well, and he could rub it, wash it and rub it. And if he did that by the well, and it's a well of visions, that he would be gifted with the presence of a beautiful woman to become his wife. And also his stamina and strength would return so he could also be a passionate mate with his wife. So he went to the local well with a black stone that he took off of the nest and he rubbed it, expecting this beautiful woman to appear, but instead three crows appeared and they somehow happened to have the name of Bev, Maka and Nevin. And Bev was of illusion, Maka of confidence and Nevin of Nevin of prophecy. Now these groups were known as the pre-corn and you see I brought that up a little bit earlier, if I can bring that banner up again uh, of the pre-corn, which is a kind of, it was a word I think first used uh, for this group of three crows, the messengers, these three crows were known as the messengers. And I think that the leprechaun came from this because for quite a long time, a pre-corn of crows as a group of crows was used uh, as, as a description instead of today. They say a murderer of crows, don't they? So it was a pre-corn. Anyway, their message was to come to the well and take this trickster man off up into the, the hill, the cage hill, into the hollow hill, right through the caves where the doida a hag. I'm actually combining the secret of this. I'm combining the local story with a story from the Isle of Mull in Scotland, where there is a similar hill. It rises up out of the sea, and it's known as the Burg. It's near Turoran, and inside the Burg, there is the Doida, which has exactly the same kind of folklore and legends as our hag as a kayak inside the hill of Cache here. Anyway, I'm using the Doida in this one because there was a huge connection in those days. There was no Scotland. There was no Ireland. It was all the same Gale culture. So there we have the doido, the hag, the kayak. And he was taken by the, the three precorn of crows into the cave. And, and so this weak man was to sleep with her within this monocorcune womb. And if he would sleep with her, with the doido, his stamina would return and fertility would return, and there would be a great conception, grand conception of midwinter between the two of them, the doider and this weak man who would now come strong, and that from that conception, the whole fertility of spring would be released through the breaking of the waters and through the fertility at Imbolc. And through enchantment of a harp, that he created through the winter. He, he actually took an alder tree inside the caves. And with this wood of alder, and he actually had some gut, I don't know if it's crow gut, uh, with the strings, and made the instrument. And he actually mounted the black stone and he molded it into this alder harp. And it's became more famously known as the Withna or Uthna. And its four corners were to conduct the seasons of the year from that midwinter onwards. And he also took clay that was out of the water that he was bathing in inside this hill. And the fire that came out of this lock baked this pot. And it was this pot that he could use to carry the following year 
uh, he would it would be blessed at Belsney, and it would be a pot that would carry the porridge from the harvest that would feed everyone. And every so one, he would be worn out again by the well. He would tap the stone during an autumn rainbow, and it would call the precon, the crows, to come back and guide him back to the doider again. And so this man who became weak at every fall, at every autumn, became known as the enchanter of the doider. And most people know the doider, and I often call him the doider. We know him more as the dadda today. So that's another version of that song, uh, that story uh, in a roundabout way uh, that uh, talked to you. Okay. Um, right, this is where I'll get to the serious bit. This is where, could I ask you help, please? The, uh, the Labyrinth Gardens, the Sunday sessions, they're all brought to you by subscribers and donations. I have the Patreon. I think I have a, a time to bring up the Patreon banner here. Um, there's the pre-corners here. And, um, and there's there's the spelling of the doida, the hag. And there's the yithna, ithna. It's got so many different piano pronunciations, that harp. And there is the point for now. So anybody who can... Uh, who can spare a, a pound or a dollar or a euro uh, with donations. And it doesn't stop there because I'm developing a she water and tree folklore course. And the, this is going to be for you subscribers. Uh, it's going to take these Sunday sessions subjects I kind of ramble through and make them into more depth because I only really touch on the surface of some of these subjects. And the course media will be videos, podcasts, slides, ebooks. And eventually we'll have some Zoom-like course meetings, the real serious Zoom stuff, you know. And there'll be some optional projects that you can and tasks for you to have a go at. I'm framing this already, as in evenings are now drawing in. I've got time for doing it. So as I say, links are all over the Carol Crory Cottage uh, website. Uh, and so that'll be a great help uh, if you can do that. Um, and uh, thank you for those, some of you watching today are subscribers. So thank you very much for that. Uh, looking forward to the course. I'm actually looking forward to actually having something uh, to present to you. And I hope it will not be uh, in the too distant uh, future. And uh, let's get that done. And that's the, and you can join the Karakori sessions uh, here. And, uh, oh, uh, do tinkle, there should be a bell. Uh, Facebook has brought in the YouTube type bell. So if you're on the, the Facebook, please uh, click the bell uh, so I can remind you of the sessions coming up. Because I'm going to talk to you about uh, sessions that are coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've got some lovely stuff where uh, you can actually join in. We've got the someone sessions on the 1st. There we go. 1st of November, and that's next Sunday, the someone uh, traditions. And uh, for that, I will, uh, this is open to you. I'll give a, a few traditions. And uh, please let me, please share the traditions you do wherever you are for your someone. I would love to hear more from you than from me this time. Um, so this is uh, really much, uh, very much an open door for yourselves. And on the uh, 8th of November, the, the Lighted Labyrinth, unfortunately, we can't do the Lighted Labyrinth for you know right why. Uh, but uh, we're going to open it up as a so-on gathering and loosen it up even more than so-on traditions. I hope I hardly speak on this one. This is totally open to yourselves. Let's make this a whole so-on online gathering. And I'll speak more about this on my posts uh, over the next week or two. Then on the 15th, uh, we've got Claire. Claire, uh, Claire takes over. Uh, Claire Roach. And it's going to be an introduction to the harps and bardic folklore. I'll go very much into the doider and the harps and the koran and the harp. I'll give a little introduction to the ancient Bardic origin. But Claire's going to be with you to show that actually harp or any music is not, there. you don't need to be part of a symphony orchestra. She's going to show you that even a simple string can be very meaningful as a form of poetry from yourself, but rather than words, from your sound, and of course you can mix the two. So that's going to be in three weeks' time, isn't it? 15th of November. 
But Jasmine has come back and she's got one more poem. Uh, let's, uh, Jasmine, fire away. Let's, uh, let's, you've got another poem for us. Right. It's, how are you doing for vocals there? Uh, packed, isn't it? Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Well, I can hear you. Let's fire away, Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll just read one more poem. Uh, it's called Pat, which was in my last. Oh, wonderful! Uh, in my last. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is the last book, but there's one coming out very soon called Oops Silver Spoon, and that's coming out with salmon, but it should be in the next, hopefully by Christmas. I'm not sure. Packed. Eventually, the crows stopped building brittle knitted towers in the chimney, and I miss them. I miss their dawn scratchings, the feel of their feet on the slates of my head, the crack of tumbling bolts and glass on the apex roof, and the raucous chat roaring down our megaphonic chimney stack. I miss their eternal silhouette standing guard on the pot, on the house, over me underneath, dislodging their foundations, whispering up our secret. Thanks, John. Oh, great! Thanks. That was a lot clearer. That came out fantastic. Uh, that was uh, that. Yeah, I could hear every word of that, and I, I hope everybody else did. That was fabulous. Thanks for coming back, Jess, and we'll have to get you in a better thanks environment so people can really appreciate you and the wonderful poetry you do. And, and thanks for putting your books up. I'll get them listed a bit later on. So thank you very much for that. Thanks, million. Okay. Bye, have a wonderful day. Bye -bye. I hope your I hope your ankle heals soon. <laughs> Bye. Uh, thank you again uh, for Jess uh, here. Uh, for uh, I was uh, thank you for Lee, uh, Linda Rose, although she couldn't get online. Uh, her lovely poem. Also, I forgot to put a picture up. There we go. There's the um, Howard Hawksley, who you heard earlier with the Twa Corbys. There he is earlier. I don't have a picture of my uh, granddaughter, Ayla Santos Wilmot, but thank you to Ayla for her bit. Uh, I would, I'd like to ask you to, uh, yeah, keep commenting. A lot of you will be watching the archives, as you usually do. Keep commenting if you're watching this a bit later, and I'll come back and answer you. Uh, and here's wishing you uh, that you enjoy a safe week uh, full of wonder, inspiration, uh, celebrations and your enchantments. Let's have a look at your final words uh, before we wrap this up. Uh, and so kind of you to all be here. Um, and S Suzanne said this is new. Because we had Suzanne uh, wonderfully last week. Uh, she, that was lovely over there from uh, Vancouver Island. Thank you. And uh, so I think... Uh, we're sort of nearing the end here. So thank you all so much uh, for being here and the comments. And we'll put up Jesse's books a bit later. So until next Sunday, play well, be safe, and bye-bye to you. <laughs>